so much for being with us this morning. And if you have a Bible, we're starting a, a short series from the book of Habakkuk. Now, I've always said it, Habakkuk. I was a little alarmed to see some people saying Habakkuk or something. So I hope I've got it right with Habakkuk. And uh, anyway, that's what I'm going to say anyway. So I hope that's all right with you. So we're in the book of Habakkuk, and we're going to read the first 11 verses of chapter 1. I'll give you a moment to find it. It's in the Old Testament. That's helpful, isn't it? It's in between Psalms and Revelation. I can get more helpful as I go along. The book of Habakkuk. And as it is prayed before we come to God's Word, it is holy ground. Father, I thank you for your Word. I thank you that every word comes from your hands, that it is living and operative. Help us as we handle your word that we would handle it rightly, and that everything we say will be for your glory, for our eternal good. Amen. So Habakkuk 1 and verse 1, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, and then it just says Habakkuk's complaint, which is important, as you will see as we go through our study. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear. Or cry to you violence, and you will not say. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralysed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. And now this is the Lord's answer. That was Habakkuk's complaint, and this is the Lord's answer. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth, to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press loudly, proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At skin, kings they scoff. At rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own mind is their God. And may the Lord bless this reading of his holy and inerrant word. If you live long enough, at some point you have, you will experience injustice. And you resonate with a passage like this, O oh Lord, how long? Justice is the central theme. We see it in verse 4. Justice never goes forth, or justice goes forth perverted. There are lots of things in life to make one sad, frustrated or unhappy. But I would contend that there are few things, and maybe nothing, that provokes such anger 
often righteous anger and indignation as injustice. No one has to teach you as a human being to be upset about injustice. A child gets blamed for something that wasn't their fault. Two siblings both get into trouble when one started the fight. Both get sent to their room. Or you're ordered to do the dishwasher for a week. And your parents didn't see the work that you did yesterday. And now you have to do everything that everyone else didn't do yesterday. I see a few smiles around. Um, we can all tell stories, couldn't we? Not, that, not to say that they're of equal pain or import, but you all have them. And sometimes if you don't have many of them, when you do feel that there's been injustice, you're almost surprised by the strength of your emotions. Maybe you've experienced a moment which is relatively insignificant, and you feel this profound sense of, this is not right, and I just want everyone to know. There's almost nothing in the human spirit that I think that we feel which is strong as injustice. And I'm sure you have your own stories where you have been treated unfairly. Now to be sure, because we feel something strongly doesn't always mean that we are feeling it accurately. Because there's works of the flesh, there is indwelling sin. It's possible to scream out in indignation to, and that to be a sinful response or to be a disproportionate response. Many times when children cry out, it's just not fair, that there isn't any injustice at all, they're just trying it on. But to cry out for justice can be a righteous cry. It can be a reflection of how God has created the universe, how God has made us, and what God is like in himself. Shall the judge of all the earth do right? My dear friend, God is God of supreme, unalterable, unending justice. So it starts off in verse 1 with the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. If you've studied Habakkuk, or have a study Bible, you may know that the word for oracle is massa, and it can also be translated burden. So if you insert that, it could say the burden that Habakkuk the prophet saw. There is something weighing in on Habakkuk, and we live in days that feel weighty, heavy, and we see this expressed in Habakkuk's words. It's one thing to be treated unfairly, but then sometimes there is a recognition of that, isn't there? Even though it can't be undone. Maybe a teacher makes a mistake in marking your exam. The grades are already in, they can't change it, but they acknowledge it. That's something. It's another thing when injustice happens. No one seems to see it, and if they do see it, they just don't care. Or even worse, it seems like the ones who are doing it are getting away with it. 
And they get ahead because of it. And the ultimate level of pain and injustice is to feel that God himself doesn't care. And that's the cry of Habakkuk's complaint. Just a little bit about the book of Habakkuk. It's a unique book because in most of prophetic literature, the prophet is speaking on behalf of God to the people. Habakkuk begins by speaking on behalf of the people to God. There is a deliberate structure in the book, and that's why I read the headings. Headings are sometimes quite useful, actually, because before verse 2, it's Habakkuk's complaint. And then before verse 12, there's Habakkuk's second complaint. So you have two complaints. And then beginning in chapter 2, verse 6, the Bible has a heading which is called Woe to the Chaldeans. There are five woes to the Babylonians. And then in chapter 3 of Habakkuk's prayer, there is this closing psalm or prayer of confidence in the Lord. So Habakkuk's structure is two complaints, five woes, and a closing psalm or prayer. And that's what we'll look at in our morning services. What is going on historically that prompts Habakkuk to utter his complaint? Habakkuk ministered around 612, 612 years before Christ, after the fall of Nineveh. And Nineveh was the great city of the Assyrians who were the superpower in the region that wiped out Israel. Assyria gives way to Babylon, the Chaldeans, and the Babylonians will be the one in 587 BC who will wipe away Jerusalem and Judah, the southern kingdom. And Habakkuk is ministering, is prophesying sometime after 612 BC when Nineveh falls to the Chaldeans and before 587 BC. We could narrow it down a bit, make a note of it to ask when you get to glory, but I think it's most likely to be 605 BC. And Habakkuk, you know, we can ask each other in eternity, can't we? Yeah, anyway. But Habakkuk speaks of God raising up the Chaldeans. So the Babylonians are not at the height of their power, but God is raising them up, which puts us at the end of the 7th century BC. There was reform and revival under Josiah, 2 Chronicles 34. Jo Josiah rediscovers the law, the law of the Lord and purges from their midst foreign cults and restores true worship. And he brings true worship and the feast to Jerusalem, destroys the high place. Josiah dies in 609 BC. And with the death of Josiah's leadership, the nation begins to slide into sin and immorality. It's the beginning of the end. And a series of weak puppet kings who will eventually be overtaken by the Babylonians come to power. So Habakkuk is ministering in this time, after the death of Josiah, and he's eager to see the Lord 
bring around back those days of Josiah, that there is a reverence for God's law. There is a reformation of piety. There is a renewed obedience. Habakkuk is looking for these things. And what does he see? Injustice. Violence. Look at his complaints in verse 2 to 4. He asks two questions. How long and why? Verse 2, O Lord, how long? Verse 3, why? And they are the same two questions in times of crisis, in times of suffering, that people ask, God's people or any people, how long and why? Now for many of us we were asking how long is lockdown going to go on for? I know some people who were praying that it would never end because they were enjoying it, but I was asking, how long is it going on for? Or I'm asking now, how long before we can sing? How long before we can hug? For those of you who aren't huggers, you can stop hugging yourself right now. But how long before I can return to normal? How long? Why? The Lord himself asked how long, in Exodus and Numbers, when the people continued to complain and grumble. He said, how long am I to put up with you? The saints in Revelation 6, the martyrs at the throne, how long until our blood is avenged? It's a universal cry of the human spirit in the midst of wrongdoing and unrighteousness. You read social media? And I don't advise it at all. But if you do, you cry out, how long? Lord Jesus, come quickly. Lord Jesus, come quickly. Oh Lord, how long? Why? The cry of verse 2 is like Job's cry in the midst of his suffering. Job 19, verse 7. Behold, I cry out violence, but I'm not answered. I call for help, but there is no justice. It's important to see that Habakkuk is crying upward. His cry, his complaint is toward God. And that is the right direction. It isn't a complaint sinfully about God. We saw that in the book of Exodus. There is a difference between grumbling and groaning. God wasn't happy when the Israelites grumbled. Why didn't you give us food? What are you like? They're grumbling. But there is a groan. There is a groan which is entirely Godward and entirely appropriate. A lament. At the beginning of Exodus 2, he hears their cries, he sees their predicament and their pain, and he knows and he acts. Friends, there is a difference between a grumble and a groan. And many times we think we're groaning when we're grumbling. But there is a difference between a grumble and a groan. Habakkuk is groaning. He's not grumbling. He's groaning. He isn't complaining about his predicament. Dear Lord, I'm having a really bad day. Now, he himself maybe or maybe was not directly oppressed. We don't know if he counted himself among those who were facing injustice. But he sees it. And he's grieved that God's law is flagrantly despised. Verse 4, the law, the Torah... And this tells us that the complaint isn't about outside 
forces. You might read verses 2 and 3 and think Habakkuk is having a complaint because a foreign nation has come in and they're routing Jerusalem and God isn't doing anything about it. But Habakkuk's complaint is about his own people, their own disregard for God's law. The wicked here are the corrupted citizens of Judah. So Habakkuk issues a protest. Now you can protest for things that are wrong. You can protest for things that are good. You can protest appropriately and inappropriately. After all, we're Protestants. We can't talk. We're Protestants. Now that isn't a name that we came up with by ourselves. It's kind of like the Puritans. You know the Puritans? They didn't say, let's call ourselves Puritans because it's a nice snappy little number. No, it's what people called them because they didn't like them. Oh, you're a Puritan. And the Protestants at the Diet of Spire, you should read that up, um, were called because they were protesting. That's why we're Protestants, because we protested. We protested against the abuse of the Catholic Church. We protested against the failure of the Catholic Church to preach correct doctrine. And we were originally called Protestant. So Habakkuk is protesting that justice isn't carried out. He says in verse 4, the law is numb, it is frozen. The righteous can appeal to their rulers, to their courts. But in Habakkuk's day, he said there was no justice. And the result is that the wicked surrounding the righteous, justice going forth is perverted, the law is paralysed. Things aren't working the way they're supposed to be working. We need law. It's important to say that. We need laws. And when laws are paralysed or when laws are carried out unjustly or when laws are abandoned, we've seen all too recently destruction. Earthly laws may need to change or be reformed, but the removal of law or the disregarding of law leads to disaster. And this is what Habakkuk sees. The law is paralysed, there is chaos and there is disorder. No restraint, no sense of human decency and the righteous suffer. It's what we see in our day, isn't it? No restraint, no sense of kindness, and the righteous suffer. And Habakkuk is giving complaint, not just for himself, but inspired by the Spirit, giving voice to that universal human cry. When the righteous would look and say, I see sin all around me. And there are public consequences for sin, violence, destruction, Strive contention, verse 3. To Habakkuk, it looks like the wicked are winning, the righteous are losing, and God is nowhere to be found. Is that how you feel today? You look out, maybe even at one page of social media, and say the wicked are winning. What is wrong is called good. What is good is called wrong. God is nowhere to be found. It seemed like God... You're powerless. God, you don't hear. God, you don't say. God, you're not doing anything. Why? How long? That is the cry that welled up from Habakkuk. And maybe that resonates with you today. But then the Lord answers. The Lord answers. 
And the Lord answers in a way that was, must have been shocking to Habakkuk. The Lord didn't remedy the injustice they see. He warned them of this in 1 Samuel 8, 18. In that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. He warned them that would happen. They want to be like all the other nations with the king. The Lord doesn't make it better. He doesn't rebuke Habakkuk either. He is not in the short term remedying making the injustice better, but neither does he say that Habakkuk's complaint was mistaken. Rather, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. I want you to believe that. I want you to believe that. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. There are four imperatives there to make this point 100 million percent clear. Look, see, wonder, be astounded. You've seen the Lord's wonders, you've seen his power, and now the Lord says, here is a different kind of awesome wonder. I will reveal my holy character this time, not in salvation, but in judgment. If you see through the book, the Babylonians are wicked. In chapter 2, there are these woes upon the Chaldeans. In verse 11, they're called guilty men. Their day of judgment will come. He isn't excusing the Babylonians for their wickedness. Evil always has in itself the seeds for their own destruction. If you conquer a people with greed, with cruelty, with arrogance, those vices will never make for a lasting movement or civilization. Soviet Union, Nazi Germany, in our living history, if you conquer a people with arrogance, the vices will not make for a lasting civilization. But in the near term, this is where it gets shocking, God says the Chaldeans will be my instrument. We don't think that wicked people can be instruments in the hand of the Redeemer. That wicked people will do his bidding. They had no intention of doing so. They were not absolved of their evil, but God had a plan. My friend, I want you to be encouraged that God is sovereign and God has a plan. Their sinful violence would be the means of God's righteous judgment. Look how, Babylon, look, look how Babylon is described in verse 6. I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation. That's their national character. Verse 7, they're dreaded and fearsome. Verse 6, they seize dwellings not their own. They take people's property that doesn't belong to them. They're dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. The Lord is not saying they're just and have dignity. They're claiming for themselves what they don't rightly have. There are fearsome people, verse 10, they scoff, they laugh. They're not afraid of anyone. They pile up earth and take it. That was the military technology of the day, by the way, how we got into a fortified city. They didn't have planes, they didn't have helicopters, they didn't have long-distance missiles, but they had earth. And the mechanism where they brought huge amounts of earth to build a ramp 
so the army could go over the top. They sweep by like the wind and so on, verse 11, speaking probably about ladders that you would use to go over the earth into the city. In other words, they had the latest technology. Earth was the latest technology. No wonder they scoffed at all comers. Unless we think anything good about the Babylonians, their final designation in verse 11, whose own might is their God. They think that they're godlike with their power and their ability. They're anything but. But God is using them for his purposes. Babylon was completely oblivious to what Almighty God was doing. Babylon thought they had won, and they were for a short time on top of the world. But they were proud, they were arrogant, and all along they were but putty in the Lord's hand to yield wherever and however he wished. This is Habakkuk's day. What about our day? How should we apply this from faith? What would God have us to learn? I'll give you two things and then we'll close. How do we apply this complaint and the Lord's answer today? Number one, remember. Remember that God knows the end from the beginning. Isn't that encouraging? God knows. God has all of our days written in his book before one of them comes to pass. God has not been taken by surprise. God knows every one of our days. God will tie together every loose end. History follows a divine plan and a divine timetable. And we are always wrapped up in what's happening right now. Right now. But God has his own timetable. And the thing he wants Habakkuk and Judah to hear, and you and I to hear, and to wonder, and to be astounded, is that the way that we see things isn't the way God sees them. And what they think is happening isn't what God is doing. The wisest of us don't really know what's going on. So let us remember that history follows a divine plan a divine timetable, and ultimately it is all related, just as Habakkuk was, making way for the coming of the Messiah to redeem the people of God to establish his kingdom. Think about Daniel. All those great kingdoms that are going to be just for a moment in God's eye, and then gone. And there is one that will last. God's kingdom. God's kingdom. Remember that the thing that God is doing in the world, the great work of God in history, it isn't about any country. It isn't, it's about God's kingdom and it's about the rule and reign of King Jesus. All things, all things, including coronavirus, is working together for the good of God's people and for the glory of of his name. Remember. Let's go out of here with that one thought. Remember that God is in control. And secondly, repent. Remember and repent. It's easy to take away, isn't it? Remember and repent. I'm not an Old Testament prophet, 
I have not received a word from the Lord to explain everything that's going on in these days, but I know from history and from God's word that God is a God of salvation and he's a God of judgment. When understanding history and interpreting our present moment, we leave out completely these days because it is not PC, the category of God's judgment. But all throughout the prophets, God judged nations, cities and people. He judged Babylon. He judged Assyria. He judged Nineveh. He judged Edom. He judged Moab. And the book of Revelation is at least in part about the judgment on Rome. I do not know how God might be judging us. I do not venture forth what he might be judging us for. But I know he has plenty to choose from. You just have to look. There is plenty that God would judge our present day for. And as you might read history, there is one thing that's striking about the difference between today and the 18th century. Is that they used to have days of fasting and repentance and prayer. And inevitably preachers would pray and plead with God and repent of their sins. But we live in a day where nobody thinks they've sinned. Where sin is a dirty word. It's always somebody else's fault. I am the way I am because of dot, 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 dot. Never because I'm a sinner and I need mercy. Friends, I'm a sinner and I am cast on God for mercy. I'm only a sinner saved by grace. And, and in, in, in days gone by, they would see in military defeat, or they would see in plagues, or they would see in the low, waning spiritual existence of a country, they would see the Lord's judgment, and there is a danger, because we don't have any divine inspired interpretation to know what God is doing, but we're missing so much by not having the category at all. If we haven't thought once in the last few months about God's judgment, we're missing a tremendous amount. So that's why I say in the final point, repent. Luke 13. Why, why Jesus, did the Tower of Siloam fall? Why did Pilate do this with the Galileans? Were they worse sinners than the other people? And Jesus says, I'm not going to judge the merits and demerits of that sinner versus that sinner. But what I'm going to say is, you too should repent. And when we're called upon to repent, don't repent of other people's sins. But you're right. Because we, we, we live in a day where the protest is what other people are doing. We live in a cancellation culture. Not a culture of redemption. We live in a culture of cancellation. Where one sin rules you out forever. I thank the Lord for Jesus. Because if one sin ruled me out, I'm long gone. I'm toast. But I thank the Lord that there is forgiveness to be found in Jesus. But we are prone to protest the most loudly about sins we see in others rather than the disobedience we find in ourselves. That's how Paul 
and Barnabas applied this passage in Acts 13, when Paul and Barnabas were preaching at Poseidon Antioch. They weren't preaching to pagans, they preached to men of Abraham, men of Israel, children of Abraham. And they said at the end of their sermon, Let it be known to you therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware therefore, lest what is said in the prophet should come about. And then he quotes from Habakkuk. Look, ye scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work you will, will not believe, even if one tells it to you. Habakkuk is saying, you want justice, and the Lord saying, I will give you justice. And the justice is coming upon you for your sins, and will come from an unjust people, and they will have their day. And Paul takes the same message, the same warning, and says, don't be like those in Habakkuk's day. Don't scoff, but heed the warning of the Lord. And so Paul takes this word of immediate judgment from the Chaldeans, and he interprets it as an eschatological judgment that will fall upon people lest they repent. So surely one of the takeaways from Habakkuk is that, that we would search our hearts, and it's the one prayer that God always answers, often faster than we like. God, show me my sin. Lord, give me humility. Let me see and let me repent. And we can't stop there because Paul says in his name there is forgiveness of sins. And later when they came, come back and say, keep speaking to us again, we read, we read that they spoke with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. Friends, there is grace for sinners. There is grace for the sin you find in your own heart. We can be different. We can be changed. God can be pleased with us. We don't have to live with guilt and shame. So however you came to this passage, whatever injustice you feel, would you pray to the Lord, he would give you a humble heart. He would give you eyes to see. And that would be a good prayer for me and all of us because we're prone to feel our own injustice first and to see other people's sin first. And maybe just ask the Lord to reverse that. So maybe you pray with me, Lord, would you help me to feel and to sense somebody else's injustice before mine? And help me to see my sin before theirs. Lord, would you help me to feel and to sense someone else's injustice before my own and help me to see my sin before theirs and to know in both God's grace and mercy. May the Lord bless the word for his glory, our eternal good, for Jesus' sake. Amen. I thought we could close together just by saying the words of the great hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. The words will come up on the screen. Maybe just say them to yourself. Please don't sing, but please say them to yourself as we think about the faithfulness of our almighty God. Let us say the words of this wonderful hymn together. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. 
Thou changest not, thy compassions they fail not, as thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning new mercies I see, all I have needed thy hand hath provided, great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Summer and winter and springtime and harvest, sun, moon and stars in their courses above, join with all nature in manifold wickets to thy great faithfulness, mercy and love. Time for sin and peace that endureth, thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow, blessings for mine with ten thousand beside. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning new mercies I see, all I have needed thy hand hath provided, great is thy faithfulness, Lord unto thee. Amen. Wonderful truth. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. I'll say the words of Jude as a benediction. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Saviour, through Jesus Christ our Lord, with glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time now and forever. Amen.